Section fourteen of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven. By the side of the little chattering stream that flowed through the bit of woodland where Mr. Nippers and his associates had come upon them, they found Dollops, with his legs drawn up, his arms folded across his knees, and his forehead resting upon them, sleeping serenely over the embers of a burnt-out fire. He was still making music, but of a kind which needed no assistance from a mouth-harmonica to produce it. They awoke him and told him of the sudden change in the programme and of the need for haste in carrying it out. "'Oh, so help me! Them Apaches, eh? And that foreign josser count what's his name too?' said he, rubbing his eyes and blinking sleepily. "'Right you are, Governor. Give me two seconds to get the cobwebs out of me thinking-box, and I'm ready to face marching orders as soon as you like. My hat, though, but this is a startler. I can understand what them Apache Johnnies has got against you, sir, of course. But what that Moravanian biscuit is getting after you for beats me. What did you ever do to the blighter, Governor? Trip him up in some little bit of crooked business, sir, and did him down, as the Americans say? Something like that returned cleek don't waste time in talking simply get together such things as we shall need and let us be off about our business as soon as possible dollops obeyed instructions upon both points obeyed them indeed with such alacrity that he shut up like an oyster forthwith dived into the caravan and bounced out again and within five minutes of the time he had been told of the necessity for starting had started and was forging away with the others over the dark still moor, and facing cheerily the prospect of a thirty-mile walk to Cumberlandshire. All through the night they pressed onward thus, the two men walking shoulder to shoulder and the boy at their heels, over vast stretches of moorland where bracken and grass hung heavy and glittering under their weight of dew down the craggy sides of steep gullies where the spring freshets had quickened mere trickles into noisy water-splashes that spewed over the rocks to fall into chuckling froth-filled pools below along twisting paths through the dark still woodland stretches and thence out upon the wild wet moor again with the wind in their faces and the sky all a prickle with steadily dimming stars and by and by the mist-wrapped moon dropped down out of sight the worn-out night dwindled and died and steadily brightening glory went blushing up the east to flower the pathway for the footfalls of the morning but as yet the farthermost outposts of cumberland were miles beyond the range of vision so that the long tramp was by no means ended and feeling the necessity for covering as much ground as possible while the world at large was still in what dollops was wont to allude to as the arms of murphy's house the little party continued to press onward persistently by four o'clock they were again off the moors and in the depths of craggy gorges by five they were on the borders of a deep still tarn and had called a halt to light a fire and get things out of the bag which dollops carried things to eat and to drink and to wear and were enjoying a plunge in the ice-cold water the while the coffee was boiling and by six gorged with food and soothed by tobacco 
they were lying sprawled out on the fragrant earth and blinking drowsily while their boots were drying before the fire and after that there was a long hiatus until cleek's voice rapped out saying sharply well i'll be dashed rouse up there you lazy beggars do you know that it's half past twelve and we've been sleeping for hours they knew it then be assured and were up on their way again with as little delay as possible rested and refreshed they made such good time that two o'clock found them in the morecambe abbey district just over the borders of cumberland and with appetites sharpened for luncheon bearing down on a quaint little hostelry whose signboard announced it as the rose and thistle well there's hospitality if you like said cleek as at their approach a cheery-faced landlady bobbed up at an open window and seeing them bobbed away again and ran round to welcome them with smiles and curtsies delivered from the arch of a vine-bowered door welcome gentlemen welcome beamed she as they came up and joined her but however in the world did you manage to get over here so soon the train not being due at shepperton old cross until five and twenty past one and that a good mile and a quarter away as the crow flies however better too early than too late major norcross and lady mary being already here and most anxious to meet you as it happened that neither cleek nor mr narkom had any personal acquaintance with the lady and gentleman mentioned it was so clearly a case of mistaken identity that the superintendent had it on the tip of his tongue to announce the fact when there clashed out the sound of a door opening and shutting rapidly a clatter of hasty footsteps along the passage and presently there came into view the figure of a bluff hearty florid-faced man of about five-and-forty who thrust the landlady aside and threw a metaphorical bombshell by exclaiming excitedly my dear sir i never was so delighted talk about english slowness why this is prompt enough to satisfy a yankee i never dispatched my letter to you until late yesterday afternoon mr narkom and by the way which is mr narkom and which that amazing mr cleek or oh, never mind perhaps that clever johnny will be coming later you can tell me all about that afterward for the present come along let's not keep lady mary waiting she's anxious this way please here as mr narkom had lost no time in acknowledging his identity it being clear that no mistake had been made after all here he caught the superintendent by the arm whisked him down the passage and throwing open the door at the end of it announced excitedly all right mary the yard's answered the big rewards caught him as i knew it would and here's narkom that chap cleek will come by a later train no doubt the response to this came from an unexpected quarter of a sudden the man he had left standing at the outer door under the impression that he was in no way connected with the superintendent but merely a gentleman who had reached the inn at the same time came down the passage to the open door brushed past him into the room and announced gravely permit me to correct an error please major the man cleek is not coming later he is here and very much at your and lady mary norcross service believe me i have long known the name of major seaton norcross as one which stands high in the racing world as that indeed of the gentleman who owns the finest stud in the kingdom and whose filly highland lassie is first favourite for the forthcoming derby and i now have the honour of meeting the gentleman himself it seems the effect of this was somewhat disconcerting 
for as he concluded it he put out his hand and rested it upon mr narkom's shoulder whereat lady mary half rose from her seat only to sit down again suddenly and look round at her liege lord with uplifted eyebrows and lips slightly parted afterward she declared of the two men standing side by side in that familiar manner one reminded me of an actor trying to play the part of a person of distinction and the other of a person of distinction trying to play the part of an ordinary actor and not quite able to keep what he really was from showing through the veneer of what he was trying to be the major however was too blunt to bottle up his sentiments at any time and being completely bowled over in the present instance put them into bluff outspoken characteristic words oh gum games he blurted out if you really are cleek i really am mr narkom will stand sponsor for that but good lud man oh look here you know this is all tommy rot what under god's heaven has brought a chap like you down to this sort of thing opinions differ upon that score major said cleek quietly so far from being brought down it is my good friend mr narkom here who has brought me up to it and made me his debtor for life debtor nothing don't talk rubbish as if it were possible for a gentleman not to recognize a gentleman it would not be so easy i fear if he were a good actor and you have just done me the compliment of indirectly telling me that i must be one it is very nice of you but may we not let it go at that i fancy from what i hear that i too shall soon be in the position to pay compliments major i hear on every side that highland lassie is sure to carry off the derby in fact that unless a miracle occurs there'll be no horse in it but her here both the major and his wife grew visibly excited gad sir exclaimed he in a voice of deep despair i am afraid you will have to amend that statement so that it may read unless a miracle occurs there will be every horse in it but her every blessed one from dawson blake's tarantula the second favourite down to the last also ran of the lot good heavens the filly hasn't gone wrong suddenly has she she's done more than gone wrong she's gone altogether some beastly low-lived cur of a horse-thief broke into the stables the night before last and stole her stole her sir body and bones and there's not so much as a hoof-print to tell what became of her well i'm blessed are you begad then you're about the only one who knows about it that is for as if that wasn't bad enough i've not only lost the best filly in england but the best trainer as well and the brute that carried off the one got at the other at the same time dash him what do you mean by got at the trainer major did the man take a bribe and sell you that way oh tom farrow never in god's world nor that kind of a chap by george the man that offered tom farrow a bribe would spend the rest of the week in bed gad yes a more faithful chap never drew the breath of life god only knows when or how the thing happened but farrow was found on the moor yesterday morning quite unconscious and at death's door he had been bludgeoned in the most brutal manner imaginable not only was his right arm broken but his skull was all but crushed in 
there was concussion of the brain of course poor fellow he can't speak a word and the chances are that he never will be able to do so again bad business that declared cleek looking grave any idea of who may possibly have been the assailant local police picked up anything in the nature of a clue the local police know nothing whatsoever about it i have not reported the case to them not reported hmm. rather unusual course that to pursue isn't it when a man has his place broken into a valuable horse stolen and his trainer all but murdered one would naturally suppose that his first act would be to set the machinery of the law in motion without an instant's delay that is unless hmm, yes just so what is just so inquired the major eagerly you seem to have hit upon some sort of an idea right at the start mind telling me what it is certainly not i could imagine that when a man keeps silent about such a thing at such a time there is a possibility that he has a faint idea of who the criminal may be and that he has excellent reasons for not wishing the world at large to share that idea in other words that he would sooner lose the value of the animal fifty times over than have the crime brought home to the person he suspects End of section 14